I've been resting on my laurels, if you like, up until now. And now I have to go out of my comfort zone because nobody knows me or people that I'm looking at getting jobs don't know me. They don't know what I'm capable of. Job hunting can be challenging at the best of times, but the economic impact of the coronavirus adds another layer of complexity to it. So how do you stay positive and optimistic when really all you want to do is lie on the couch and binge watch TV? I'm Sabina Reid and I'm a psychologist who has worked with individuals and organisations for over 25 years. A lot of the time when change happens, particularly when we didn't instigate it, it can feel like it's happening to us rather than happening for us. And that can rattle anyone's confidence. In this episode of Seek Your Mind, proudly brought to you by Seek, Jane has written in for advice on how to tackle the upheaval of going from having spent her entire career happily working in the travel industry to being out of a job almost overnight. We'll be discussing Jane's letter and others across the series with a panel of experts from career coaches to meditation practitioners. Today, I'm joined by Melissa Lewis, founder of The Ascension Group, Melissa specialises in helping executive women enhance their confidence and presence, and we'll talk through some of these issues that Jane raises in her letter. And just a heads up, because we recorded this online during coronavirus lockdown in Melbourne, the internet connection gets a little bit glitchy at times. Dear Seek, I've been in the travel industry more than 30 years. I'm well respected and successful and I've always moved roles in the sector using my networks rather than job hunting. Now I find myself in a totally foreign environment. I had an interview last week and the interviewers were both young. I have to admit it rattled me. The travel industry as we know it is gone and I don't speak the language of the new world of job applications and transferable skills. I'm also aware that competition is tough. So the faster you catch up, the better off you'll be. So how can I be confident and sell myself in this environment? Do I just fake it until I make it? What does that even mean in reality? Yours needing a translator. It brings out a few things listening to what you've just said for me there. One is that you've been in the same industry for 30 years. So tell me what that means to you, that longevity and from a sense of identity probably as well. Yeah, well, that's a good point. It really is a sense of identity and you get very well known in your industry amongst your peers. So it really does start to define who you are and it builds a sort of a safety net, I think, about where you're at. I mean, there are challenges, they're the clients, but it's very familiar. I mean, it's probably a reason why you stay in it. So there's this sense of not having to challenge yourself in order to succeed, to do well, to hit targets, to meet goals. You've got all that down pat. Well, you do still have to meet your goals, but the background behind that, the industry supports you because they know, you know, you're good at what you do and you get kudos for that. And so it's just constantly reassuring you that you're good at what you do. Okay, that's really interesting. So you're getting Mm. this feedback. I would call that a positive feedback loop in that constantly being rewarded. Great job, Jane. We know we can trust you. I think you're tapping the construct. Trust is massive, yeah. As well as trust, this idea of kudos and recognition for what you bring and how you're an authority perhaps in your industry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a real comfort in that. What would it be like if you if you didn't, let's just hypothetically go there, mm. what would it be like if people didn't have an established history of trust with you 
or they didn't know what your offering was, what would that mean to you? Well, that's sort of what I'm facing now in a, in, in a way because I have to, I've been, what's the term, resting on my laurels, if you like, up until now. And now I have to go out of my comfort zone because nobody knows me or people that I'm looking at getting jobs don't know me. Um, they don't know what I'm capable of. They don't know my inner personality, my, you know, any parts about me. Very hard to show that too in, for example, a half an hour interview for them to capture all that about you. So it makes you feel very vulnerable, I guess. Yeah. It's like starting afresh completely. I'm joined now by Melissa Lewis. Tell us a little bit about what some of the things you took from Jane's story. So Jane has a common story. I see that she's feeling very vulnerable and flat, which is understandable. And anyone who really has given their life and been in something for such a long period of time, it leaves an emptiness. Jane has a number of an amazing transferable skills and it's about tapping into those and actually getting real clarity on where does she want to go now, where does she want to work, what kind of industry could use her her skills of people management, of organisation, of building relationships. And I think the more she tries to tap into who she is, the more confident she will naturally become. And it's hard when we're down. It's really hard. You know, what works for me is sometimes just picking up the phone to a really good friend and saying, you know, I'm feeling really bad. And she's feeling bad because she hasn't been in this position before. In the last 30 years, she's got most of her work through her contacts. So all of a sudden she's confronted with this new way of, I've got to just apply online. I've got to send my resume. I've got to have an interview now on Zoom if it wasn't hard enough, just going through the interview. So there's a a whole lot of new skills that Jane hasn't had to face before. So understandably, feeling flat is would be natural. But it's about when my clients or I feel not confident, it's about tapping in, well, what's making us not feel confident? Is it that we feel like we don't have the skills to be on camera? Yes, that's probably true. So maybe she needs to invest in a mentor or Google. I mean, there's so many things now on elevating your presence on camera, little tips and tricks. Is it that her resume is not reflective of who she really is now? Because probably in the last 30 years, she's probably updated it, I don't know, three, four times, but really she's had long-term employment. So it's getting the right people to say, right, what have you done over the last 30 years? And I think she needs to go back and have a look at that and be really proud because she has been very successful. And often when we're down, we're just looking at what we can't do. As we know, I can't do this, I can't do that. You don't think of all the things you've done. Even though we know a big part of confidence is being clear on what you offer, for people who have spent a long time in the one industry or role, it can be really easy to underestimate the extent of their transferable skills and overlook how to apply them. Yeah, well, I think I've identified a lot of my transferable skills. I think one of them would be client relationships and that sort of thing and building trust, building up a rapport, being able to speak developing and maintaining relationships. I mean, I really do think the list goes on in travel because I used to laugh and say we would, travel agents are called the PA's PA's, so we do all the sort of dirty work for people. So that plus everything else from Excel spreadsheets to maintaining budgets to, commun- you know, negotiating rates for people, you know, overseas, locally, it's quite a big job. 
And you have tapped into already a long list of skills that would lend themselves to so many industries and so many roles. In fact, they are some of the core skills that we need to do in nearly any job is this relationship piece, rapport building. And then you've also talked about some more specific skill sets around spreadsheets, budgeting, negotiating. I'm sure in addition to the already long list that you've shared with me, time management would have been important. Oh, absolutely. Logistics, even problem solving. Sometimes it's that other end of the stick, which is sorting out disgruntled clients and an experience they had and trying to resolve it so that you can maintain that relationship with your client and the supplier as well. Already, I can hear you describing what you do with a sense of confidence and knowledge and familiarity. Mm. So there's a disconnect for me between the story you just told, which was, I'm only in the travel industry, this is so new and I'm drowning and I don't know what next, Mm. and actually what you just described is in your toolkit. Mm. There's quite a bit, isn't there? Yeah, isn't there? And I I know we haven't even got the end of the list, even if I prompted a few more things. Well, you talked about budgeting, but there'd definitely be overall financial management, There'd be research skills that I know you would be doing in the travel industry. I'm sure you're thinking creatively. I bet you're, you've got a, a knack for meeting um, really the needs of your clients. They're telling you sometimes they're describing perhaps a dream of what this honeymoon or this uh, milestone travel event is going to look like. And so you're tapping into something quite emotional there as well, not just practical. Would that be right? That's 100% right. Okay, so which one of those that we've just talked about or which group of those skills light you up? Which of those excite you? If you could spend most of your time, which of those skills would you like to use? Well, I just can't help. I mean, I love travel. I love destinations. I love what travel does to people um, emotionally and spiritually and educational-wise, I think, It transforms people and I love creating those experiences for people, choosing new backdrops, new new countries to make that happen for people. That's the one thing I just love the most. So I don't know how you can transfer that. I was inviting you to tap into which transferable skills that we've discussed light you up and which ones feel most authentic and exciting to you. And something happened as I asked that question, you reverted back to connecting to the travel industry. It's the travel industry that lights me up. And so I think we're going to need to find a way to build a bridge between these transferable skills that you do so well. And I can hear, as I say, you talk about with passion and purpose and confidence to see how we can take those to a different sector, a different industry in a different setting without holding on to the emotional connection you've got to industry that sounds a bit like it's your baby and you don't want to let it go. No, I don't. But I understand that these times I have to. And yeah, I do love working with people. I think that's a big thing. So people, creativity, how people pick what they want to organising. And I actually really like helping people. And I think that's another thing travel agents do do, where they're we're a service industry. So we're there to help. We're there to make things easier for people. So you're now starting to distill that it's helping people mm. that is important to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So we've heard two things happen here. The first is that Jane has trouble seeing how to apply her skills outside her industry. 
But the second is that she's been able to drill right down into what it was about her previous career that made her happy. And it's not always immediately apparent what that is for us. For Jane, it's all about helping people. So as a prerequisite, when I start with every client, often I find their intentions and perceptions are not aligned, which is what I work with with presence. So I I say, well, tell me where you think you're really strong in terms of your brand and positioning communication. And where do you think there's opportunity to grow? And, you know, how would you describe yourself? And then I would get them to ask 10 people. So it's a mixture between colleagues, family, bosses, clients, direct reports. And from there, they start to really go, oh, I didn't know that person thought that of me or, wow, that's so kind. And you start to see a theme. And I I think that alone cements it. It's tangible rather than, oh, yeah, no, cheer up. You're going to be fine. You've got really good skills. You mentioned in your letter that you had an interview recently and the people that interviewed you were younger. I want to tap into the age piece in a moment, but what was that industry or what kind of job without giving specifics if you're not comfortable did that job look like? That was hospitality, so it was a little wellness retreat and I thought my skills would be perfect there. Yeah, it was the first official interview I have done in over 20 years. So that was, I was actually quite nervous, probably because I wanted the job too, and I hadn't been through that formal interview process for a long time. That was interesting. It was, yeah, it it went well. You wanted the job. What was it about that job that you wanted? Uh, Can I just say, honestly, I just needed a job. (laughs) So when you said I really wanted it, it was that you wanted employment as opposed to, was there anything about that though? It was in an area that I've always been quite passionate about, which is boutique hotels and looking after people on that side of thing. I've always been on the travel desk side. So that side of it really interested me in expanding my skills and it was just came up at the right time perfectly. They ended up wanting a web developer, it turned out in the end which wasn't on their job description when I went for the job, but that's okay. Um, It was good learning to go in there. So it would be remiss of me and it's not my style to overlook what you're describing emotionally and you've tapped into two things. One is grief, Mm. the grief of losing an industry, an identity, a passion, a dream, all connected to the last 30 years. And that grief's very real and We don't want to minimise it. We don't want to let it define you, but we need to acknowledge it. So there's quite a deep sense of loss there. And I can also hear um, a really potent sense of belonging and affiliation and affinity with people around the world, literally, that you feel has probably been challenged or severed in some way. Yeah, well, for now it feels really severed. So it is a huge amount of loss that I'm feeling and... A very uncertain future too because I know I've got to do it, but how do I do it? How do I get there and branch out? I'm 50, not that that's a hindrance, but, you know, it's a long time being in the one area and then to have to move yourself. It is. It's not a choice that you've made. And I think when anything happens in our life that happens to us, we feel out of control. There's a sense of uncertainty, sometimes resentment, because we feel it's happening to us. And one of the things I like to say without trying to sugarcoat too much is, is it happening to us or could it be happening for us? Yeah. And if 
happening for you? What opportunities are there? Because you've nailed this industry, you are full of skills and qualifications, but if this wasn't happening to you but happening for you, what are the opportunities that might be out there? Have you got any thoughts on that if we open up a more expansive way of thinking? Well, yeah, that's a great question and I'm definitely one for cup is half full. And I'm a bit excited, actually, about what the new possibilities are looking like for me. And it's taken a bit of time because I think you do have to let go of the old to bring in the new. So there's these two things sit by side by side. There's the fear, the loss and the sadness and the uncertainty. And next to that sits the opportunity, the possibility, the hope and who knows, the what ifs out there. And I don't think that that's a linear process, just like in grief, it's not a linear process. So if you wait until you no longer feel sad about the travel industry before you make your next move, you'll never make a move. If you acknowledge that there's a level of grief and loss that's sitting side by side, these possibilities and opportunity, you'll make a move while experiencing both. It's not either or. My other thought process on this to survive, like financially, people like myself are probably looking at a couple of things going at one time. Like I will never desert travel. That can sit in the background until it's ready. I can maintain my clients. I can do this. And then if there's something else came up a day a week or two days a week, I'd look at doing that as well. And I actually think that's a bit of the future of a lot of people in my shoes, that it might be doing a couple of different things part-time for a while. Jane has recognised that she might end up with a few different jobs over this next period in her career and that means more job interviews and specifically standing out in job interviews either online or face-to-face, which is Melissa's area of expertise. The first thing is there's a psychology around, and you know this better than I, that when you wear things that make you feel confident, Um, and good about yourself, you actually become more powerful. And that's from a study called the Enclosed Cognition. Choose outfits that make you, or choose an an outfit top now, (laughs) uh, that makes you feel really good about yourself. When you're on camera, it's very different visually. I always say don't let what you wear detract from the words you're saying. Really good points. And again, I think sometimes we overlook them because we think, Uh, is this somehow egotistical or should I just be accepted as who I am? And And we should, but if you're going for a job, you're going to put yourself in that other person's shoes and go, well, why am I going to hire you? And Jane has already highlighted that she feels that she is amongst many people going for roles. In your letter, you say, I don't yet know how to speak the language of this new world of job applications and transferable skills. But in the conversation we've already had, you are speaking the language of humans, of needs, of relationships, of connection. And that's not new world. And that is really a fundamental building block of the way society operates. So I wonder if you've got some ideas about perceived gaps in your toolkit that really perhaps are not gaps. Yeah, well, that might be just my perception of what people expect of you when you're trying to get a new job. Maybe I'm so out of touch with that that it's about I didn't understand that people just looking at me like another human being trying to get a job, whereas I'm worried that I'm not going to fit the perfect job description. But you're right, I think it is just about humans looking after humans and it's as simple as that. The fact that you're scared that it's not that before you go in can rattle you. 
And if your introduction in an interview is, look, I haven't got this or I haven't done that or what I'm hoping that I can learn or then they're thinking, oh, she's telling us what she doesn't have instead of telling us what she does have. And I always think it's so important that as the job hunter, we are very clear and resolute and confident what is in our toolkit and we're able to communicate that. You wouldn't go on a date and talk about what you're not. So we need to be clear about what we're offering as opposed to what we're not offering. That's a really good point. And that's a bit like fake it till you make it sort of thing. Why should I have to? Why can't just be me be good enough? Is that just a more personal issue or is it just human nature? I think it's a really common mindset that you're sharing, that we look at our deficits. We know why we do. We're hardwired to look at what's not working. I mean, I used to think it was just me, but that's probably common for a lot of people. I think this, the fear thing too is the, the youth factor, you know, the age. And we forget actually that we have a lot of life skills that, you know, have taken years of stuff-ups and and achievements to build and become part of us, which is our strengths really. Yeah, so is it possible as we're having this conversation that some of the barriers have been the way you've been thinking about your offering and who you are and what you don't have as opposed to what the barriers are in the real world? Something that Jane talked about was the fake it till you make it idea and and she struggled with that. And I know that's a concept that doesn't resonate with you either. What do we do when we're not feeling confident to break that mindset so that we can put our best foot forward? Preparation and practice. They're the two things that I always say. It's like when you go on a stage and you haven't prepared and you haven't practiced, you're naturally going to not feel confident because you haven't put in that hard work. When you see a good speaker on stage and they look effortless, it's because they have spent hours upon hours of writing, recalibrating, practicing, practice again. So they've put in the effort. So for someone to feel confident, it's like a muscle. It's like when you learn a new instrument, you've got to keep repeating it. You don't just wake up one morning and go, I'm confident today. For people who are confident, they've done a lot of internal work, as you know. It doesn't just happen. So in this time for Jane to really get confident because she has never been in this situation again, she knows she has to pivot, I would make sure that she got the right people around her to go through and get clarity. Where does she want to go? Where do her strengths lie? Where are there opportunities that she could upskill? Because we can all upskill. Every day there's something we can upskill. More important, the one question that people always suffer with, so tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, and it sounds, oh, yeah, I'll just tell them. Well, no, you need to really think about what's your career journey been? What's the highlights been? Where do you want to go? And and it's got to be two minutes. <laughs> so you really have to practice that, you know, the shorter the pace, the longer it takes. What about bringing the authenticity into that space? Because I think we can probably fling too far the other way oh. and be too polished and almost lose some sense of who we are. The key with being authentic is to one, know your audience. You do want them to employ you. So you're not going to tell them for six days straight you wore the same clothes, whether you did or not, okay? (laughs) You're just not. But you can tell them, listen, it's been a really hard time. Like I'm devastated. I loved my industry. I'd been there for 30 years, but what can I do? So now it's about looking what the next 10 years look like. And I'm excited to work with another organisation and do your research 
touch on that organization? Where can you see that you can transfer your skills from travel into that organization? And actually, 30 years, she's just done a lot of things. So it's to go back and practice and prepare. Something Jane articulated as we talked was how challenging it is to keep what's happening in your life, be that personal or financial or to do with looking after your family, separate from your job hunt, particularly when you're trying to perform well in interviews. I feel really privileged in my work that I hear multiple stories where people don't realise that what they're feeling or going through are normal and common experiences. And what she raised is a really important issue. Exhaustion and anxiety can leave us feeling vulnerable and depleted. It has flow-on effects. But as Melissa says, being confident and professional is not about shutting that out completely or compartmentalising. Unless you fully acknowledge that, we carry that with us into even a job interview or the way we look at uh, the job hunt. And when we realise other people are feeling that, the people that are interviewing you are feeling that, the people that you're working for or applying to or potential clients, we've all got the same stories going on. We're all being pressured by financial restrictions or pressure or parenting or tricky children or challenging relationships. And I think just to acknowledge that in the background of your life and everyone else's might be helpful. I feel better hearing that, what you've just said, because, yeah, I think if we all can drop our shield a bit and just be a little bit more vulnerable, we're going to, we're almost halfway there, aren't we? So when you stop and attend and give yourself the headspace to explore what is your offering, I think you're actually quite in touch with what it is. And it's damn good. Maybe I should write it all down. (laughs) It's actually a great idea because what happens, yes, when you go into a pressure cooker, You sort of forget all this stuff and the negative self-talk rises to the top. And when you write it down, I think it cements it both within your own mind and gives you clarity about what you're wanting to talk to. Well, I think if you'd interviewed me maybe a month ago, it would be a very different story. You know, I could have been, you know, the tissue box and weeping. Well, help us understand then what is it that you think has transpired in the last month? Well, I think it's a lot about accepting and I think... For me, it's been just so accepting, meaning letting it go, dealing with the now, being in it, sitting in it, not trying to rush what I'm feeling or deny what I'm feeling. So really just, and that's sort of grief, isn't it? It's just being part of that and just letting it sort of leave you, you leave your mind and your body when it's ready to. And that's the only point I think when you can actually move ahead and then things start to open up. It's like the rain, you know, clearing up the day so I've probably been lucky that I've had that time I'll never have got out of where I was I don't think or been brave enough so this is something's made a choice for me and it's how I've what, what I've decided to do with that situation been up to me and that's empowering in, in many ways what are some of those ideas that you've got coming up so my skills that we've spoken about I thought well what what are they? They're helping people. They're adding a service. Trust is massive. I think there's one thing you can't Google is trust. Being a local, it's being familiar with a smiley face, just helpful. And they might sound, I used to sort of poo-hoo them, but they might sound like simple factors of a human, but they're actually what we all really, really need now. So doing a lifestyle administration, home management, private concierge, private transport, around this area, I thought would be a great new little business opportunity. So that's what I'm doing. 
and we'll see how it goes. It's probably the biggest lesson I think all of us have in life is that things happen to us or, as I said, perhaps for us, and it's not what happens, it's how we respond. And in that response is where we learn and grow and develop and change. So I'm not a big believer in luck. I think that you had a time where you sat in the puddle and you weeped <laughs> and you had a tanky that you'd lost this precious baby that was your industry. And then after a while, you realise you're just going to get wet and soggy. So you make a decision. How will I choose to respond to this? And you get up and you dust yourself off. And sometimes we need external conversations to help uh, invigorate new ways of thinking, new ways of being. And even as we've talked today, you've said a few things that for me are kind of clues like, "Mm, yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that or that's a good point or, yes, I could do that. I can hear the cogs sort of ticking. Have you had any new thoughts after we've had this conversation? Oh, look, absolutely. I think what I'm realising now is I have isolated myself quite a bit, which isn't really helpful. But the other thing is a lot of the people that I would normally go to talk to about these things, like my oldest friends and things like that, are in different boats to me. So they don't really understand where I'm at. And I think this is the big thing with COVID is that we're all in different boats. We're sort of, we're in the, we're all in the same storm, just in different boats. And so it's very hard for my fully employed friend who hasn't, nothing's changed for her except she has to work from home now and financially nothing's changed. So she doesn't really understand where I'm coming from in things. So I think we all need some help, professional help to talk these things through. And I feel really good. I mean, it's the first time I've spoken like this, really, since it's all happened, apart from a couple of my other travel friends who have had to move interstate and live with family and the rest of it. So it's been so helpful and underestimating how powerful sharing your story is with other people. That is, it's actually everything. It really is. And I think we need to do it a bit more. I think everyone's experiencing some degree of grief. Yeah. And to, even to share what some of those losses are helps relieve some of perhaps even the shame that comes with the story. Yeah, shame's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I felt really shameful. I mean, I lost my apartment in, in Melbourne and, you know, to be someone my age and then sort of feeling like you can't support yourself after all these years is sort of you feel like a loser. You feel wow, I've just, I'm not making it in society or I can't even put a roof over my daughter's head right now. Like that doesn't make you feel too good. I think that's quite universal when you've experienced job loss. Shame is the idea that there's something flawed with you. Yeah. That is very different to something wrong with the situation, something more global at play, like an industry that's gone down the gurgler. Shame is very personalised experience. And when we over-personalise, it can really bring us down and weigh very heavy on us. Mm, I agree. I mean, you've said some beautiful things, Jane, I think around your reflections, both in the journey that you're describing but also even in this process. No, it's good to share. I actually feel good after it. Thank you. What I heard in Jane's story is that sharing is powerful. It helps us process and it can empower us to realise we're not alone. It's maybe not something you'd launch into in a job interview, but being able to step back and catalogue your achievements and transferable skills and to translate that into your next move, even if you didn't perhaps want to make a move in the first place, can be beneficial. As Jane and Melissa said, you don't have to fake it till you make it. You just have to find it. 
Next episode, we'll be talking with Daniel, who's found it tough to get cut through in the retail sector, and Dr. Tim Sharp, who specialises in positive psychology, to talk through how we can teach ourselves to be optimistic, even when the job hunt is taking longer than we thought. If you're looking for more tips on presenting well in interviews or ways to identify your transferable skills, head to the Seek Career Advice pages. And if you found anything in this podcast particularly challenging, Beyond Blue has a range of online resources and a support line that you can reach 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 1300 22 46 36. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Sabina Reid and this has been Seek Your Mind, a series on well-being while job hunting, proudly brought to you by Seek.